0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.
1: I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love to win. You're now listening to State of the Nation. With Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, Deshaun Reed, ready to discuss the Raiders 2021 draft class. And of course, we talked to you guys on Friday after the first round selection of offensive tackle Alex Leatherwood. we might get into him a little bit more, but let's get into the rest of the draft class and we can kind of go blow by blow, especially because I, I think the one pick that, uh, you know, if you're a Raiders fan, if you're covering this team, if you're you're just observing around the league, the one pick that I, I don't think anybody is complaining about, you got to love the second round selection. They traded up and they were able to get Trayvon Marig, the safety out of TCU. Most people viewed him as the top safety in the draft coming in. He ended up being the third safety that went off the board, and maybe that's because of the news, the reports that uh, he suffered a back injury in training as Ian Rappaport poured cold water over everybody celebrating with that report right after the draft pick. But the Raiders and Marig both say that uh, no issues there. And assuming that that he is completely fine with the back, getting their starting free safety and and maybe the best guy in the position at the draft at number 43, uh, you got to feel really good about that if you're the Raiders.
3: Yeah, I think that was pretty clearly their, their best pick. We got to give a shout out to Vic because he he mocked it correctly kind of you know you had him getting Alex Leatherwood and, and Trayvon Moore but he had the rounds flip so shout out to Vic for for nailing this one but um like you say he's gonna step in year one star at free safety I know Mayock is really hyping up Jeff he for some reason but as long as that back thing isn't a big deal he'll, he'll be out there you know it's a bit of an adjustment for him because he played in a, a system in college that had a lot of too high safety looks and so transition into that one high center fielder role you know maybe that'll you should be able to figure that out throughout training camp and he has a skill set to do it so it shouldn't be a problem
4: yeah if you watch him on tape i think a lot of things jump out like his instincts has you know got some playmaking ability looks like a true center fielder out there kind of guy who has control of the whole area so um i think it's a very exciting pick for the raiders i think um i know at the beginning of this whole offseason, we talked about how i thought They need to add the the two best players in defense in the offseason. And it's possible they've done that with Ngakwe and now with Morrig. So I think um, they feel a need. High upside. Uh, The back thing to me is a little bit concerning because I know they both said no big deal. But it's still alarming to me that two safeties were picked before him. So um, I'll wait until he comes to the first day of of practice and he's there a full participant before I totally ignore that thing. But um, again, I think it was a great pick by the Raiders. It's concerning because to me, he was by far the top safety in the
1: draft. I think even if there's some draft boards that differ a little bit, it's hard to see even a second safety. I just thought he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And for teams, a couple teams that needed safeties to pass up on him, especially when he fits their system so well, it was concerning. But obviously the Raiders said that their guys checked him out and he was totally fine. But I'm with Vic. I want to see him on a field and healthy, but if he's healthy, he's a total steal at that draft position. And I liked how Mayock navigated the draft and made the move to trade up to get him as well. Uh, But to, to Sean's point, he did not play a lot of center field. He played a lot of too high and not a regular too high. He played a lot of quarters too high. So he was playing a lot of man coverage on, um, on number two receivers and, um, at tight ends, but you can see the hip fluidity. You can see the range, the athleticism took great angles, and he had really good ball skills, too. He had 20 pass breakups in the last two years. So I think all those skills uh, translate well to um, a center fielder. So I think if he's healthy, he's going to be really good in that role. And the Raiders
2: traded with the 49ers to, to get him, uh, going with the, the former Bay Area rivals. I guess maybe uh, not being cross-bay, they can uh, make that kind of deal. But uh, that was interesting to see. Gave up a fourth-round pick, and I know uh, Mayock, for, that, for him, that was, uh, that was a little bit tough thing to do. But... To Sean, you wrote several times kind of in, in the run-up to the draft that the the Raiders aren't going to have room for eight, nine rookies or whatever on this roster. So even though it might hurt to give up a fourth round pick, I mean, to get a guy that you really truly need makes a lot of sense, uh, even if you have to sacrifice.
3: Yeah, that's a that's a pretty low cost, you know, and you know, for what it's worth, they got a seventh round pick back in return for it that they ended up using on, on Jimmy Morrissey. So, like I said, especially if you're you're trading up for a guy that's a day one starter instant impact player you do that every time and you know they had they have two third round picks they had even like the guys that they have now we're not sure that that all all seven of these picks are going to make the roster like Morrissey is it might be a long shot you know even Hobbs is going to have to compete at that Nickelback spot Gillespie you know they have a ton of safeties now so I just thought that they should have been you know pretty aggressive when when it came to being flexible not just trading up but trading down as well and so I think they navigated the draft pretty well on that front. I probably would have traded down if I could and still took Alex Leatherwood. I know they said he didn't like the offer that they had there, but that's really my only critique for the entire draft. They were able to
2: keep both of those third round picks. I know that was kind of one of those things. Well, like, all right, if you need to get into the top of the second round to grab your safety, you probably would need to give up one of those third rounders. And and they were able to wait and hold off and not have to move all the way up to the top of that third round because Malcolm Koontz, a pick that I know if you look at Dane Brugler's big board, he had him number 200. There were some other opinions that had him a lot higher. What kind of upside are they getting with Koontz? Looks like a guy that probably needs to add a little bit of bulk, but um, you know, a guy that could potentially give them something as that situational pass rusher that they never really got from a guy like Arden Key.
4: Yeah, I think strictly if, if that's what he does, strictly, you know, third down guy, then he can definitely have an impact. I, I believe one of the reasons uh, some of the draft grades were beforehand were so low, like you mentioned, Danes have a 200, is because he can't play against the road. He can't play him in. Um, all situations in the NFL, he's, it's not going to work. He's just, just too raw, and got overpowered too much in the running game for that to happen. So, if he's strictly a pass rush guy, then you hope he can make an impact. Hopefully, he can. Arden Key will get close. Arden just can't finish. So, hopefully, this guy can finish and, and get some sacks for him uh, when they need When they need it. Forgive me for this, but I'm, I'm calling him
1: Khalil Mack because he's like tiny and he's from Buffalo. He's super explosive. call him Khalil really, Mack tiny? Wait, say it again? Ka- Ka- no,
4: Khalil. Like, oh as my Ka- God. I oh, that's a good job. Jesus oh. Christ. <laughs> <Ooh>. Wow.
1: Ooh. <laughs> that is bad.
0: <laughs> <Ooh>.
1: But <laughs> I watched some tape of him. Really good movement skill, skills. I love his hands. Really violent hands. And Mayok's right. He has a really. Big toolbox as far as the moves he uses. He uses a long arm. He has a chop and dip move, push, pull, spin move. He has a good inside counter. I didn't see the fake spin move yet, but I haven't watched a ton of his film. I love how he uses his outside arm. Uh, I think you need some coordination and balance to be able to use that. Yeah, if you use him just as a situational pass pass rusher, he can be good. I think he's pretty advanced as far as um, just the, the full toolbox he has. But it'll be interesting to see if he could hold up against NFL tackles because he is undersized and there are some examples of him just getting overwhelmed on, on the edge at times. I love the speed. I love the, the bendiness. And um, we'll see if it could translate as a, as a situational rusher. This is one of those times where I'm really wishing we were all in the same room together. Cause I wish I could have seen just like how
2: eager Ted was to drop that that Khalil Mac. <laughs> I just I just wish we could have like been seeing like how how eager he was to jump in there with that. I feel like you was planning that from the the start
3: of the pod. I did plan it. Not gonna lie. <laughs>
4: that makes it worse. <laughs>
3: it's <was so> <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he takes a, a red shirt year just because you know that weight thing that we mentioned. I know Yannick Ngakwe isn't the biggest guy ever, but he's a veteran. And they have a ton of defensive linemen. Of course, we keep talking about it. I don't think there's a ton of pressure on him to be ready year one. So maybe they have him take the year, bulk up, you know, adjust to the next level, figure some things out, and then maybe moving forward, you know, maybe Carl Nassib is gone next year, or some other pieces move around, and there's more of a a role for him to get playing time. I don't know, man. Third round
2: pick. I can't. I can't redshirt a third round pick. I think you need. You need. I mean, we thought Max Crosby a couple of years ago, right? Was going to need need that year to bulk up, and we saw what he did as a rookie. So I would think they would hope that they can get something out of him year one.
4: I was gonna say we talked on Friday about how we, you know, the Raiders have this. They reach a lot in the early rounds, and the reason we question that so much is because there has been a great track record. There's definitely there's no benefit of the doubt, and I think with this pick there is a little benefit of the doubt because they had gotten you know Max Crosby uh, in the later rounds in his rookie year, and that was a good pick, I and mean, a really good pick. So clearly Mayock and his staff have good instincts as far as finding late round pass, not late round, but you know mid to late round pass rushers. Jim Nagy, the director of the uh senior bowl did jump in my my
1: comments and said that he posted a video of him and a bunch of teams messaged him and said you know jokingly don't give this guy too much exposure because they like him a lot and he said a bunch of teams had him as a top 100 player so I don't know if that's just you know him protecting or hyping up his senior bowl guys but you know it seemed like there were teams that liked him all right. Well, at number 80, right after the Coons pick, uh, we got Alec England
2: and got to, uh, didn't even have to leave the stage, was able to make uh, both uh, of his picks right there. Divine Diablo, uh, a safety from Virginia Tech, but the Raiders see him as a, a will linebacker. We've seen this kind of move before with, with drafting a guy that's a, a safety and, and kind of viewing him as a linebacker. We've seen it before in the third round um, just a year ago. Uh, what do we think of Diablo? Is, is this guy... Is he going to be a special-teamed war daddy like uh, Tanner Muse, who isn't able to see the field in year one, or, or is he more for the Raiders?
4: I don't know, but I know Tanner Muse had a rough a rough time watching that, I'm sure. I mean, that can't be easier watching them pick another uh, safety turn linebacker in, in the third round, so I think that not speak well to his uh, – his future here, but um, yeah, I think it's an interesting pick. I think, yeah, obviously you're looking for, your, like, like Mike said, Mayock, you looking for big guys who can run, and you kind of fit them in where you can after that. That's the way the league's going these days, so he can play a linebacker. Maybe he, at some point he's back to safety, but they like the combination that he brings, is you know, the rare athletic ability, so uh, again, a third round. You're, I know Mike, last year said you're trying to get future starters. We're also looking to get some guys who have just upside. I think he's definitely an upside pick for them in, in, round, in round three.
3: Yeah, I think he'll be a, a more natural fit at linebacker just because of the role that they had him play at Virginia Tech. I mean his last year he was kind of more of a that hybrid star position that's becoming the wave now in college football where, you know, tech plays a linebacker, but they have a lot of safety responsibilities and I like his size a little bit better than Tanner Marie was coming out. And so I don't know how much of an impact he'll have year one just because, you know, Littleton and, and Quit and Moreau are there. But you always need rotational linebackers, especially if you know, Littleton has another year where he struggles. You know, depending on how bad he struggles, maybe maybe Devine
1: takes on a, a larger role. Gus Bradley did this a lot, where he he was moving safeties to play linebacker roles when he was with the Chargers. He, he especially did this the year that they um, the Chargers played the Ravens in um, the playoffs. Lamar Jackson's um, rookie year, I think he had safeties play the linebacker position for a majority of snaps in that game, so he has the experience doing this. And Diablo has a lot of versatility, like they moved him to the second level and had him drop deep, and a bunch of NFL teams are doing that, or they had him deep and drop into or move down into the box. So I'm sure they like that versatility, like his ability to disguise defenses. So if he does turn out as a good player, he will kind of offer that ability to disguise defenses, which I think was attractive to the Raiders.
2: Fourth round, uh, the Raiders uh, went to Tashan's uh, alma mater, uh, another safety, a guy that, that Mayox didn't expect to be available, and that's why they were aggressive about going up there in the fourth round and grabbing him. Uh, T- Tyree Gillespie, uh, Tashan, what do you know about
3: this guy? I mean, obviously,
2: you've, you've seen him play uh, for Missouri.
3: You kind of got playing time surprisingly early on at Missouri. They had an issue with one of their starting safeties, was, uh had some off the field problems, and so. He got a chance to get in there early and he never really let go of his hold on it he played mostly free safety in college but like when he was drafted i think he's more of a, a box safety at the next level i just don't know if he has you know the speed or or the range that you would like especially to play you know center fielder free safety i think if you know the raiders were still playing a too high look then maybe he'd be a more natural fit there but i think you know he probably best fits like a backup to to abram and Kind of a rotational safety. I was a little bit surprised that they took him, actually, you know, Mizuta aside, just because, you know, obviously they already took morig and Diablo has that kind of safety versatility. So adding another safety, it was kind of same like overload, but I guess, you know, you might as well give yourself multiple shots at it, especially if you got have a guy super high on your board. You know, maybe he outperforms, you know, somebody that was drafted earlier, then you, know, you just, you know, you just never know. So I think it was a pretty solid pick. I know a we'll, little, you know, most people had him rated lower than 143, but I think once you get into round four and later, I don't really, you know, get too tied up in, in reaches. I don't think, I don't know if that's a thing anymore once you get into those later rounds. I haven't watched a lot of
1: film on this guy, but if he gets as many interceptions as Tashawn's old guy, Drew Locke, throws, then oh,
3: <laughs> He picked off, I'm sure he picked off Drew Locke plenty of times in practice. Uh, if he sees the field against the Broncos, it, it might be the guy to throw out there. Teddy Bridgewater, man. Teddy Bridgewater. Are they going to get Aaron Rodgers or the Raiders are going to get Aaron
2: Rodgers? Who, who knows? What do you think Jonathan Abrams' takeaway from watching this draft is? After seeing them, you know, draft two guys that are definitely safeties, one guy that can play safety. I mean, certainly the Raiders go into this season wanting and hoping and expecting that Jonathan Abram becomes the player that they drafted in the first round. But do you think part of this is, okay, let's put a little pressure on this guy that he's gotta be able to perform ex- up to expectations because now we might have some guys that that give us some options if he doesn't play well.
4: I'm not sure if it's pressure. I just think maybe it's uh, it's a backup plan. I think don't forget they also uh, brought back Carl Joseph. They still have Jeff Heath, who's probably better at strong safety than free safety, and well, he definitely is. So all of a sudden you have a crowded uh, roster at, at that spot. So uh, I think like Max said, they're confident, they're, like, slash hopeful that Abram has a nice bounce back here. He's working hard, but uh, clearly there's definitely a backup plan in place. Whereas if he has trouble. Uh, still you know, in terms of assignments and, and pass coverage. I know the plan now is to have him play closer to the box, and that's great and all that, but, you know, it's, it's a passing league, so we'll have a lot of passing responsibilities still. So if he can't handle that, then there's definitely uh, a backup and maybe two backup plans in, in place now.
3: Yeah, and I think the thing with Abram, not only is his struggles, but also just... know, his lack of availability, you know, being hurt is pretty much his entire first year. And then even last year, you know, it seemed like he was dinged up almost every other week. So, you know, if he's injured and missing multiple games like he has so far in his career, they need a, a reliable alternative on the roster. You know, last year, you know, anytime he went down, they were basically screwed back there. So they're kind of covering themselves up just in case his injury issues persist as well. We'll be right back after a quick word from our
0: sponsors. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash The Athletic.
2: All right, and in the fifth round, the Raiders finally address cornerback, and this is a position that we kind of kept waiting around to see, and still are waiting around to see if they might hit this in a free agency. Obviously, Richard Sherman is a guy that they have had conversations with as a potential free agent that could come in as a, be a veteran presence and mentor for some of those young guys. As of right now, I mean, it's it's still a pretty young cornerback room. They add Nate Hobbs out of Illinois in the fifth round at pick one sixty seven. Certainly not a pick that's going to you would think uh, answer a whole lot of your. Your questions at cornerback but uh, another guy to give them some depth there
4: yeah to me it's just competition I and mean, they have a bunch of guys already there like Isaiah Johnson and you know, Keyshawn Nixon, and Meek Robertson so there's a bunch of young cornerbacks already fighting for a roster spot now here's one more they like this toughness and that's the thing that, that they said and as good a reason as any to pick a guy in the fifth round so um you know I think they probably will still maybe add another cornerback I know we talked about Sherman and um Mac had no comment about that. Sherman said that the Raiders are one of four teams he's talked to. Then uh, there's a lot of talk I, I saw on Twitter yesterday about Casey Hayward, but nothing I've heard on that. It's like nothing new there. So uh, it's possible that you know Russell Douglas is the guy they brought in to be that veteran cornerback who plays a lot. So I have to wait and see. Hobbs is a big time athlete too. I know he's very raw, but you know when you have that type
1: of athletic ability and, and toughness, you know I think they're just betting that they could develop that athletic ability into playable athlete or and if he can't play right away I think you know he offers some value in special teams
3: yeah it's kind of interesting they've taken you know back-to-back years you know guys that are best at the nickel spot with with Hobbs and, and Amik Robertson last year it's pretty crowded there at the nickel spot now between those two and then and Lawson and I know Keyshawn Nixon can play the nickel as well a little bit so you know you wonder if this maybe has an impact on, on guys making the team or not they gotta put as many guys out there and see if one
2: of them can stick right it's kind of got to be their approach there is is try to you know create some competition but all right let's move on to the final pick of the draft and you know mayock when he made that trade up with the 49ers he said you know you probably you might not believe it but getting a seventh round pick back for us was huge they got pick number 230 back from the 49ers and they used it on center out of pittsburgh jimmy morrissey who uh who mayock says is awesome he loves him um we kind of figured that they were feeling pretty set at center with uh, with Andre James and then they brought in Nick Martin I could see Morrissey coming in and maybe being a competition for Martin and, and you, you could kind of look at him as a seventh rounder and say, all right, he's probably ticketed for the practice squad, but they can save some money you know, if, if they decide that he's better than Nick Martin as a backup option. I mean, Martin got 250,000 in a signing bonus. That's all he has guaranteed. So they could save a, a million and a half uh, minus what, you know, the rookie minimum for Morrissey. So uh, maybe he he's able to push Nick Martin and uh, if he's good enough,
1: they can save a few bucks on their backup center. He's gonna have to be really good to to beat out Nick Martin, I think. You know, because Martin does offer a veteran with experience at the center position. If James doesn't work out, yeah, I see him more as a, a practice squad guy that can um, that they, they're hoping to develop. I think he has just a long way to go to beat out Martin.
4: I got a good chuckle out of when uh, Max said uh, in our little uh, post draft Zoom how they. They love the kid. He's like, you know, former walk-on. He won the award for the, the, the best former walk-on, whatever. And uh, how the Senior Bowl, I guess, called him on Friday, and he came up and played on Saturday, played almost the whole game. Like, that was a big I – And mean, most college players, you call them on Friday and say, you want to play in the Senior Bowl? Like, yeah, sure, I'll play. I don't, I don't understand why that's a big deal. But it's cute. It's, it was a cute story.
2: Do you want to have a better shot at getting drafted? Sure, I'll I'll, I'll make it to Mobile. get, get me a flight. All right, well, let's uh, take some questions here. Uh, we didn't put out a call for questions because uh, we had some eager readers, listeners that uh, that were that got out ahead of us. So, uh, you know, don't worry. We're not going to do this all the time. But uh, we, we will generally put out calls for questions. But uh, we, we've got a lot of submissions here. So start with this one on Twitter from Eric Galvin. Is it fair to say this draft will be judged on the Raiders' first two picks? Leatherwood and Marig are expected to start right away. Everyone after that is depth slash gravy if they contribute even better. I mean, I think that's pretty fair, right? I mean, those are the two guys you drafted to fill needs. The hope is that you got to hit on that at least one of the other guys is somebody that two, three years down the road is still on this roster and doing something. But if Leatherwood and Marig are quality starters, then you consider this uh, a good draft.
3: Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, especially with them taking Leatherwood higher than most thought they would and, you know, having some other tackles still on the board that they could have went with uh, instead. You know, I think it'll kind of be the comparison between, Wood and Derrissaw or Tevin Jenkins or any of the other tackles that were are taking kind of in that range. And so I think that's the case with most drafts. You know, the, the top one or two picks is, is what you judge most of the class off of. But like you were saying, you know, of course, you know, they want those those other guys they drafted to kind of at least develop into useful rotational players with some long term upside. Even if they have guys already on the roster at those positions, which they do for for pretty much all of those, you know, those guys obviously will be cheaper options since they're on the rookie deals. But there's
1: definitely a developmental projection side to Leatherwood because he's a big time athlete, but he was very inconsistent when you you watch his film. You want him to be your day one starter, but let's see how much Tom Cable can develop his technique and fundamentals in training camp to be a day one starter in an NFL and. With Morig, I, I think if he's healthy, he he's your day one starter, or he should be your day one starter. I, I I do have a, I think I'm higher on him than than some people. But I believe Daniel Jeremiah even had him as his twelfth ranked prospect in his his big board. And other guys, yeah, they're they're developmental guys, role player type of guys that, you know, if they can win a role in the defense, I think that's a that's a win for the Raiders. You know, it's funny, I our. Chiefs writer, Nate Taylor, uh, did a
2: big story, uh, last week or so on the chiefs, 2017 draft and how outside of Patrick Mahomes, basically everybody else was a miss, you know, what? who gives a shit, right? you got Patrick Mahomes and, and you you've won a super bowl, been to two. So those top two guys are gonna be where the, the draft is made. Um, obviously whenever you hit big on a guy in a late round, you know, you're, you're thrilled about that, but, um, if you hit on the first couple, you're, you're in pretty good shape. All right. Question here from Harpy's Bazaar on Twitter. Uh, two questions. Uh, first off, do the Raiders have enough guards? So they have got the three guys, uh, John Simpson, Richie, Incognito, Denzel. Good that are basically competing for those three spots. Do they have enough, uh, w- with just those three guys kind of, who do they have behind them? Um, I, I guess it might be a little thin after that, but.
4: I think that's fine. You got, I assume Nick Martin will play some guard if if need be. So I think you're I think you're set there. I think um I think what else you got? got Lester Lesser Cotton. I think is still on the practice squad. He's still bouncing around. So Lester Cotton has some experience in the system. If you have to you know, break glass in case of emergency, but uh, I think those three guys are are pretty good actually.
3: Yeah, I guess you know the only worry might be you know incognito you know miss. Pretty much all last season, you know, he's, he's up there in age. So if he goes down again, maybe it'll be a little thin. But like you're saying, I think they're pretty much covered. You know, they do have injuries. They have other guys on the roster. that have positional versatility. And so I think they have enough guards. And the last last year, it seemed like they were adding a million guards uh, throughout the offseason. So I wouldn't rule it out necessarily, but I don't think they need one. All right. Second part of this question, Uh, Vic wrote in
2: one of his post draft stories, uh, Gruden will tell you himself that he is hard to work with. What do you think Gruden thinks is hard about working with him? Probably a lot, right? I mean, I I don't think Gruden Gruden is not delusional enough to think that he's just some easy to get along with uh, guy. I mean, he's he's a little maniac.
4: Yeah, he knows he's emotional. I mean, he definitely is aware that, um, like, an example, like, after one day's practice, he can come in and say, you know what? That guy is phenomenal. I love that guy. And then the next day, he tells the coach, I hate that guy. That guy's terrible. So I think that just, guys, it's kind of, he realizes that. He's just kind of up and down. And I think he definitely wants to, obviously, he's feeling some pressure, wants to win now. So he kind of uh, is demanding. I think he'll definitely, but I, so I didn't mean it like it was a, that bad of a thing. I just think it's, he's, um, it's a unique situation. He's the, he's the guy, he's the coach, he calls the plays. He also calls the, uh, all the moves in terms of personnel. So uh, I think there's a lot that goes on that he realizes is not your average NFL situation.
2: And I mean, very few coaches, maybe no, no other coaches in the NFL, have the kind of relationship that he has with the owner where, I mean, the owner spent years upon years pining after him. I mean, and it was like the greatest moment of Mark Davis's career when he was able to, you know, finally convince John Gruden to come back. So if, I mean, how many coaches have that where it's like the owner just views you as the guy that is,
4: that he has always wanted to lead his franchise. His career was his life. I thought it was the best day of his life. <laughs> he, I think probably his life, he, he, yeah. gave him a, he gave him $100 million for a guy. This is the best day of my life. I'm like, really? Wow. That's, he's uh, got
2: no kids, so he, he doesn't have any kids to get mad at him for <laughs> for, 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 for claiming that.
4: He's definitely all in with Gruden, and Gruden, is, um, I, Gruden hears the noise. I mean, he knows this is year four, and they've their best year is eight and eight. So I think um, it can be irritable sometimes. I think that's fair to say. he also would acknowledge that. So, I mean, again... I just think it's a a fascinating circumstance which the Raiders work in, and I think he's well aware of of all of the things that are looked at and and talked about.
2: All right, question here from Insert Government Name. He asked you, Vic, how, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but how much leash do you think Abram has left after this year's
4: draft? The leash is probably the same. I just think that uh, they got more dogs, you know, backing up. They got more dogs in the kennel ready to to emerge and and take over uh, his spot, so I think he'll be fine. I, I don't know. I, I guess his role will be much different. So we'll have to wait and see what Gus says about that. But I think about him is definitely he wants to win. Definitely the energy is unmistakable. It, it brings to the team. He was kind of a leader, even though he wouldn't played that much. So I think um, if, if you tone his role down and give him the fit on certain things, I think he should be fine.
2: You know, next offseason will be kind of where there does have to be some kind of a decision made on him. He'll be going into his fourth year. He'll we'll get that fit. You know, and they have that decision really to make on that whole three person class of, uh, that, that three first round pick class of, of Jacobs, Furl, and Abrams. And I mean, at this point, Jacobs is the only one you would expect for them to pick up that fifth year option. So this is, you know, somewhat important year for him to, but really, all those guys to kind of prove their worth, prove their value, they all become eligible to get an extension next year. I don't, you know, the Raiders would probably be smart to roll around with some fifth-year options, especially on a guy like Jacobs, just to see how he holds up as a running back. But this is an important year for that that class because uh, they've got to prove that they deserve to be long-term parts of this team.
3: Yeah, I would agree. that it seems like Jacobs is the only guy from that class that you know you would want to. Get that that option too, but you know a lot can change in a year. You know if Abram you know benefits from playing in his new system that allows him to play closer to the box and not have as many coverage responsibilities. He'll still, still have a lot of course. But you know if he just comes out and he's healthy this year and really kills it, then you know things will do a one hundred and eighty. So, but yeah, it's a crucial year.
4: Well, as far as Klee goes, we'll learn a lot quickly once we start the whole, you know, off-season workout mini-camps as far as what Gus's plans are for him. So they brought in a lot of D tackles So I think the whole, in the years past, the fallback was, well, you can always move Klee inside. But they got a lot of guys inside now. So I'm not sure that's still really something they want to do or if he'll be on the edge on on pass rushing situations. So I think his role, to me, is one of the bigger question marks I have as far as what Gus Bradley's plans are uh, this season.
2: Hey, if Vic gets credit for, uh, for his mock of Morrig and Leatherwood, but flipped, I, I want credit. I, I mocked uh, Clee Farrell to the uh, Raiders uh, just with the 24th pick.
4: <laughs> hey, yeah, we'll give it to you. Here you go. Merry Christmas.
2: How different would Farrell be viewed right now if he, you know, people would have killed them for taking Jacobs number four just because, oh, you know, people killed him for taking a running back in the first round, period, but they'd taken number four. But how different would Farrell be viewed right now if he was the number 24 pick instead of the number four?
3: I still don't think fans would be jumping for joy with the production they've got from him, but uh, I don't think the criticism would be nearly the same. I mean, he's a good player. You know, he's not, doesn't rack up the sacks. The kind of things that he's excelling at, you know, setting the edge, stopping the run, it doesn't really stand out for an edge guy. But yeah, definitely, I don't think he would be critiqued as as harshly. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not his fault that he got drafted number four overall. You know, he didn't, I'm, I'm sure he was happy with it, of course. You know, that's a nice bump in money, <laughs> but. At this point, you know, I wonder if fans have kind of gotten over it, just where he was drafted and just kind of hoping he, he turns into a good player. Like, there's no redoing it. You can't go back in time. So, like, there's really you no know, use harping over it.
4: It's kind of like Joe Smith, you know, the old Warriors the guy who was the number one overall pick. Everyone hated that pick and he got ripped and he, the team got ripped. He always carried that with him like, a, you know, like it was a bad thing. But he wanted to have a very long career. If he was like, you know, the same thing, if he was a 20th pick in the draft, be a much different thing. So it's not the player's fault where they're drafted. I think Cleese worked hard. We talked about last year, worked really hard to gain some weight. I think he's maximizing his ability. He's just not a, a quick twitch kind of bending guy that you want on the edge in today's NFL. But the biggest question mark is what Gus's plans are for him. And I, I'm actually pretty, I'd say excited to see uh, what, what they are.
2: I wish I had money on the odds of Joe Smith being referenced in our Raiders post-draft podcast. I'd I'd be quitting this job right now. I'd be, I'd be making millions if I had had odds on Joe Smith being referenced in our, our post draft
4: podcast. That's my Clefrail count, man, Joe Smith. I mean, oh, I are you like, like it? What we'll, we'll it closer to home? Darius Hayward Bay was the, you know, a horrible pick where he was picked. But if he was picked in the second round, the guy had like a 14 year career. I mean, it was a, you know, became a team leader, played special teams, was really good at it. So it all depends, you know, it's just, um, it stinks when you're a player and you get picked. A, it's not his fault he got picked. It was eighth overall. I mean, it's like he didn't ask for that, but he obviously was rewarded for it. But I just think, again, you can't um, – it's unfair sometimes when people are judged by where they're picked as far as their, their careers and how they play out.
2: And the Raiders still ended up getting Michael Crabtree on the team at a point in time where they were better and ascending, and he was a big
1: part of Derek Carr's development. So it worked out perfect, right? They still got Crabtree. It's very clear now that the Raiders like guys that aren't valued or have consensus value in the draft. I know a lot of Raider fans are all always, you know, yelling, like, you know, it doesn't matter where they're drafted or, you know, like, we don't know how they're they're drafted. But I think after, you know, all these years and a, a few years into the, the Gruden tenure that they value players very differently than how most NFL teams value them. And so far, the results have not been very great. But, you know, like you guys said, Farrell's a good player, but if you know, most teams saw him as a low first round guy. So I think the trend is a little disturbing, but if these guys end up working out next year, then it doesn't matter. But if they end up just being average players or below average players, then this trend is disturbing.
2: I mean, I saw a lot of people complaining and saying that like, oh, if the Ravens had drafted Leatherwood, that you guys would be praising that pick. And I mean, like, there's a reason why the team that drafts a player does color your opinion of that evaluation. I mean, not you know, if the Raiders draft a guy that everybody you know, universally has high opinions on. Then you, I mean, we're sitting here. We're not knocking the the Trayvon Marig pick because he's he's a Raider. The reason you you knock or criticize a pick that is not kind of in line with some of the consensus is because the Raiders don't have the track record. I mean, when teams build a track record of drafting well and almost every first-round pick that they have ends up being a productive player and all that. I mean, that is why certain teams, their draft picks, their draft classes are judged a little more highly, you know, because you you do kind of trust a track record when you have one, the Raiders don't have one yet.
4: Yeah, I mean, if if I'm making you dinner and I burn it, the next night I say, hey, I'm making dinner again, and I can really fight up for, like, not again, really? And so it's just, um, it's all based on the pattern they've had, and it hasn't been great in the last few years. And I do agree with Ted as far as if these guys don't, play well this year, these two these two starters that he brought in um, this weekend don't play well or, or, or acceptably well this year, then definitely it will come back on probably on Mike Mayak. I think definitely the recent lack of success in the draft classes, there'll be a price to pay at some point. And
3: yeah, we can't let the Raiders slide for that tweet, putting no matter what the experts say in, in quotation marks or whatever <laughs> they Like you literally hired a draft expert as your general manager. Like, <laughs> what the hell?
2: remember that was the argument that was part of the argument of the furl pick is that like well if mayock had still been working for the NFL network then he would have been pumping up furl and furl would have been higher on the boards and and people probably saying this about leatherwood if 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 we if everybody had mike mayock's mock draft you know then leatherwood would have been a mid first round pick so see that's that's the thing is them hiring mayock has just screwed up the consensus draft boards because we don't have one of the best draft minds out there making his board public anymore. Come on. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's the deal here, guys. Results. We need to see results. Yeah. win football games develop good rookies and uh, they've developed a few, I mean, they've got some highlights, but uh, I mean, it, it's on them to, uh, to make sure this class, at least those first two guys uh, can be productive players. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes. We'll see what happens as they get them into uh you know, whatever kind of mini camps and rookie camps and all that they, they have, who knows with this uh, off season with a lot of players opting not to participate. So um, but we'll see what happens when they're able to get them on the field there in Henderson. All right, guys, I think that'll wrap up this episode of state of the nation.
1: Wait, we need the sex uh, sex is on fire by Kings of Leon cover by uh, Vic Tafer
4: Yeah, that's not going to happen. Sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not
1: going to hook up your mom's for mother's day. That's, that's
2: disappointing, but
4: I thought about it. It felt it felt wrong. Didn't didn't feel it didn't feel good to me. So I'm, I'm gonna pass.
2: Well, we apologize for getting your hopes up, everybody. <laughs> <Yeah>. But uh,
4: <laughs> so it, sorry, I'm not singing Kings of Leon. I apologize.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, I think with without Vic taking us out with uh with his vocal cords, we will uh, just go ahead and wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. We'll be back sometime in this off season. We'll see uh, kind of when uh, things get going with. Uh, with other news and, and mini camps and whatnot, but uh, we'll uh, enjoyed following along in the draft. Time to get to, get a little bit of shut eye, relax a little bit, and uh, and get ready for the off season.
4: See you guys. All right, talk to you later. Happy Mother's Day. Happy all the moms out there. Having having a nice weekend.